Amped Up with Proud Resistor. This is progressive activist Ryan Knight. And I'm Chris Lavoy of The Stephanie Miller Show. And our guest today is Kimberly Johnson. The She is the host of the Start Me Up podcast and the author of Peyton's Choice and the Virgin Diaries. Kimberly, welcome to Amped Up. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, you know, I... Um, I had DM'd, I had direct messaged you earlier in the week, uh, right after Kamala had dropped out of the race. Yes. Ugh. And I wanted to have you on because I, I, I follow you and I'm a fan of yours and you have such a great perspective, um, you know, on the issues, but and definitely on the women candidates because, look, I, I never disagree with Dan Rather. Dan Rather <laughs> is like my go-to man. But right after Kamala yeah. dropped out of the race, he tweeted something like, you know, Kamala will rebound, but she needs to look deep within herself for mm -hmm. how it all fell apart. And <laughs> it got me thinking about the impossible standards that women are held to when running for higher office. You know, yeah. and I think it's time for the media to look within itself and how it holds <laughs> female candidates like Harris and Warren to a much higher standard than male candidates like Biden and Buttigieg. Uh, what are your mm -hmm. thoughts? I completely agree with you. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I had seen your tweet, which inspired me to tweet him. And it was, you know, kind of what you just said. Um, it's, it's not fair that, especially today, I'm really in a mood because <laughs> uh, <laughs> really pissed off. In fact, I, I went on a tirade on my Facebook page and I, I, I try very hard not to um, be too critical of any of the candidates because I am going to vote for the Democratic nominee no matter what. But I, I've got to say, and, yeah, and I, I put on my Facebook page that I felt that Joe Biden crossed a line when he called a voter a damn liar. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, I was met, I mean, a lot of people agreed with me, but I was met with a bunch of my Facebook followers who were arguing with me and basically taking up for this. And it, to me, it's very Trumpian. I, I don't think yeah. a... a, a uh, a person running to be the president of the United States should be calling voters damn liars. And clearly this, this man had information that was not accurate and that should have been pointed out. So that leads me to what if Kamala Harris had said that? What if Elizabeth right. Warren had said that? They would have been eviscerated. They would have, and, and, and when um, Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris is serious, they're called angry, and then they're criticized and dismissed, whereas Joe Biden can behave just like Trump and get props from even Democrats. And I don't understand it. It makes me really angry. So I, del I, like, I put up these tweets, and people were kind of arguing with me, and I got so angry, and I just deleted all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're hitting on a, a few key points, Kimberly. And, and first off, there's, there's a difference between uh, righteous anger and yeah. what I would call entitled anger, and, <laughs> yes. right? And there was that moment we had in the debate. Remember, I think it was like the third debate where Biden uh, tried to take credit for the, the Consumer Protection Finance Bureau oh. that Warren started, oh, yes. right? Yeah. And Warren handled it so great. But there's a picture of like, remember Biden? He, he said, I got you the damn votes or, you know, and he's, right. he's kind of yelling at her. And there's yeah. that picture. And it just, it strikes to me like an, afterwards Warren put out a statement because even though Biden was the one who was angry, they tried to paint Warren as angry when she oh, yeah. wasn't. And she put out a statement though I thought was brilliant. She's like, you know, women aren't allowed to be angry. 
She's like, mm-hmm. and, and aren't allowed to challenge power, but she's like, I am angry and I own it. I'm angry at the injustice and the inequality in Trump's America. And we need to channel that anger and work together side by side to, mm-hmm. to get to vote out this president. And I thought like that was such a good way to handle it because look, it is a double standard that like men mm-hmm. are allowed to do whatever the hell they want, you know, and Biden is allowed to basically attack a voter and if Warren had done that, you're absolutely oh right. It would have been a whole different thing. Yeah, and especially if Kamala Harris had done it because she's a woman of color. And we all know that, right. you know, I mean, white women have to deal with sexism, but women of color have to deal with sexism and racism. Right. And so I can't even imagine um, how it would have been if Kamala had talked to a voter that way. And look, we all feel exhausted and we're we are all pissed off we are all sick and tired of seeing you know trump just trample over the constitution and destroy norms and while i think that it's important that that you know like for instance joe biden had a great ad um that came out right after those world leaders were mocking him right and his ad was absolutely perfect mm-hmm. it was the perfect tone we we you know you can't fight a bully by getting in the mud with the bully you have to stand above them basically point down and mock um you, you can't get in the mud with them and that's what worries me and unfortunately um the fact that joe biden behaved that way had me agreeing with peggy noonan who i really can, <laughs> I cannot stand her but she was on i think she i don't know whatever msnbc and msnbc show she was on she said something like, at, at what point is the gaffe going to matter? Because, okay, he's basically been the Teflon uh, candidate so far. Nothing that he's been criticized for has stuck, and so um, and his gaffes haven't stuck. But there's going to come a time where something sticks, and is, is that going to be on Labor Day? Is that going to be the October surprise for us? I, we can't afford well, to have a candidate um, behaving in that way. Well, and also, absolutely agree with you. The other thing for me is, though, is this, this question about Ukraine, right? Even if the voters' facts weren't clear, Biden needs to have a good answer to this question, right? Yeah. Because if he makes it to the general, let's be clear, Trump is going to use this like he used Hillary's emails. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't matter how much truth is in there, you know, Biden has to have a good answer. And so, his, his campaign is not serving him well by not furnishing him with an answer or even coaching him or, or you know, rehearsing with him on how to handle such a situation. They have to know that this question is coming up. Right. And the yeah. other thing, I you know, I heard a few people say, you know, that, you know, Biden looked strong, you know, because he's fighting back. And, and no. here's my thing. Like, OK, Biden was fighting back against a voter. Right. Right. Like we need leaders who are going to fight back against the status quo and against the corruption in Washington. Right. And against our rigged economy that's working greater and greater for those at the top and not working so great for everyone else. Right. Like it it made me laugh a little because I'm like, okay, wait. So the moderates (laughs) definition of fighting back is Joe Biden taking on a voter. And the progressive (laughs) definition of fighting back is Warren and Sanders taking on, you know, the corruption in Washington and making, you know, our government work for the people again. Like, that's the kind of fighting back we need, right? The, the oh. fighting back against the corruption in Washington, not fighting back against voters. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, Hillary Clinton had pointed out when she was running that, you know, I'm going to be president of everyone. And so, 
you have to act accordingly. And, and it's just, it's, it's really upsetting to me to see, um, this country. I, I get that we're all experiencing this, um, uh, like, what is post-traumatic uh, feeling, you know, from, from stre- stress disorder from having Trump as president. In fact, I wish I could remember who it was, but there, there's a, a very popular and intelligent uh, black pundit who she had said something about Biden and I commented and I asked her and I said, do you think that the, this whole idea that Biden is our savior is going to stick? And she basically said, yeah, I do, because, because voters, especially black voters, have PTSD. And to them, Biden feels like the safe bet, and she thinks that that's going to hold. And, you know, that was a couple of months ago. I wish I could remember who it was. Somebody that I, I highly respect, and clearly she's, I mean, she's very intelligent. I can't remember who she is. She's got like a million followers, but it kind of, um, it worries me because I feel like at this point where we have, unfortunately, they're all white, but the, the four viable candidates right now are Biden, Buttigieg, Warren, and Sanders. Yes, And correct. out of all of those um, candidates, I and this is, I say this with no emotion, this is purely analytical, I think Warren is the best choice with every box. Like, okay, yes. I think she would be the most effective president, but I also think that she could beat Trump, because to me, she's the antithesis of Trump. Yep. It's almost like Mr. Rogers, you know what I mean? She's, <laughs> she's right. like the woman version of, of she's like Mrs. Rogers. <laughs> and right. so, um, you know, it's like to, to, to argue that you need I'm sorry to say this, but like two dick swingers, two guys swinging their dicks at each other, that's not what's going to work. What's yeah. going to work is intelligence and and proving that not only can I beat Trump and can I handle his insults and I can handle his, you know, ridiculous tantrum throwing behavior if if he even chooses to debate with us um you know it's it it goes beyond that it goes to what you're always talking about the bigger broader picture of how this country can improve and unfortunately because she is a woman she's uh she's got a much higher hill to climb yeah look i think you hit you're hitting the nail on the head on so many things i i think what you bring up about biden you know and our party treating him as like a savior I agree. And I actually think it's I think it's dangerous in this. Like if you look back, like I remember the first candidate in the debates who challenged Biden, Biden's record. uh, It was Julian Castro. Right. Mm -hmm, And it was a fair point. He challenged Biden's record. Well, guess what happened the next day? All the moderates in the party attacked Julian. And then then uh, Kamala Harris challenged Biden's record at the debates. And then what happened the next day? All the moderates attacked Kamala Harris. And then, you know, as progressives, one of the biggest concerns I have with Biden is that he does not appeal to younger voters at all. Like, and when I say at all, he pulls in single digits. But if you weren't like he pulls at like 4% and and younger voters are are like our biggest strength. I think we lead the GOP by like 20 points, 25 points of younger voters. We turn out younger voters in 2020. The election's ours. And so, Mm -hmm. but if you warn moderates about Biden's struggle with younger voters, they'll, you know, they'll attack you. And so my point in saying all this is that there are no saviors, right? Like we saw this, we saw this with Robert Mueller. You know, people thought Mueller was going to save us, you know, and treating Biden like a savior also doesn't sharpen Biden's skills because it doesn't Mm -hmm. allow him you know, like we were saying earlier, to have a good response to the Ukraine question. And when Julian challenges him, Biden needs to be able to challenge back and be able to answer those questions, right? And so that's what concerns me is like, 
we don't need a savior. We need a people. <laughs> we need a people-powered movement in 2020 to beat Donald Trump. That's what's going to mm-hmm. save us. The people. Yes, and I've been saying that for a long time. I think that um, you know, I had I posted something the other day that I just I find it absolutely offensive. The idea that this man who bragged about grabbing women's genitals and who cages children and the sixth one has just died, yeah. by the way, mm. um, um, and you know who who is calling people names on Twitter. How that's how that what I find offensive is the idea that he's hard to beat. You know, he's this low-life, scummy mobster who got involved with, you know, world mobsters, and he's hard to beat. Right. I I just – I feel like – I mean, I get why. I understand that Fox News and toxic radio news radio and and all of that have brainwashed a, a huge swath of voters. Right. And you know, so that I understand. But what I don't understand are like the independents, which is a much bigger pool of independents than there are of Republicans and Democrats. How? Okay, I maybe you don't like. Maybe the idea of Medicare for all scares you because you don't fully understand how it would be implemented right. and that it wouldn't be some drastic overhaul that would would screw everything up. That's not what's going to happen. But but it seems people need to be spoon-fed um, how things are going to work. And if they are not paying attention 24-7, they miss it. Then what, So it's like, well, I don't like Warren because she's going to take away my private insurance that is very expensive. And, um, right. you know, and, and it's she's like, going to give you so, great so health care and you're going to save $5,000 a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like the, I, I, the only issue that I had with Warren, and she's kind of handling it now, um, was when she was pushing for Medicare for All and not really explaining to people. Like, why? Ca- I, I was upset that she couldn't just say, of course your taxes are going to go up, but you're not going to have any uh, co-pays. You're not going to have to have a premium every month. That's all going to be gone. Right. And, and, and it's not going to happen overnight. It's yeah. an incremental change over time so that it, we're all going to be able to ease into this. And so... You know, she found she's finding that voice now, but of course, because she's a woman, she's held to such a higher standard, so she's going to be criticized more for it than somebody else would. Because it seems that Pete Buttigieg, and it's like, look, I don't want to bag on these people, I don't, because I may have to vote for them. But at the and same we will, time, and we will vote for them mm-hmm. and support yeah, and them. I mean, but and we're going to be we're vetting them, right? Yeah, we're vetting them we're vetting now. Them. And so it's like I look at I look at the fact that Pete Buttigieg, who I t- I genuinely genuinely believe that he thinks um, there is a possible route to unity, like a possible path to unity. I I think he believes that. Um, I think that he's a bit naive considering this current climate, but he's allowed to, um, you know, in the past he's made statements about birtheras like he's made jokes about the birther thing and, and he's done and said things that aren't necessarily appropriate but he gets the pass. Right. They're getting the pass where, right. you know, it's like this has been pointed out before that everybody is falling all over themselves because he's a Rhodes Scholar, but nobody's pointing out that Cory Booker is also a Rhodes Scholar. Right. And why is that? Because he doesn't have white skin. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. There was a poll uh, out last week that they asked the voters who's the most intelligent candidate. And it 22% said Elizabeth Warren. And 22% said Pete Buttigieg. So they both lead in intelligence. But what I find interesting is that you never hear corporate media pundits 
talk about Warren's extremely high intelligence. You only yeah. hear them crediting Buttigieg's intelligence. Right. So that for me is like that double standard that's in our media, that's in our mm -hmm. mainstream media, where you know they're using that as a word to define one candidate, where the voters feel that they're both, they're both Biden and yeah. Buttigieg are the most intelligent candidates, yet. They don't even we don't hear that about Warren. Um, the other yeah. thing, though, I, I, I'm so glad you brought this up is this notion of unity and this notion of healing our country, because mm -hmm. here it, here's the thing. I think that, look, we all want to heal the nation. Right. Mm -hmm. All of us want to heal the country. And it's an but. OK, fine. Great. You can say I want to heal the nation. It's a nice thought, but we're not going to heal this country unless we fix what is fundamentally broken in our yeah. economy and in our democracy. So for me, that's kind of the difference between the more moderate candidates like Biden or Buttigieg. They'll say very eloquently and, it's, you know, they'll point out like, yes, we need to come together. We need to heal the nation. But then they don't offer a plan to fix the mm -hmm. systemic issues that are preventing yeah. us from coming together. Whereas yeah. with Warren and Sanders, they actually put out detailed progressive plans to fix our broken economy that's only you know working for for the wealthy and well connected and they put out plans to fix our broken healthcare system and i look i think that it's going to be a lot easier for americans to come together when everybody has really good health care and has a you know a, a job that pays a living wage right yeah <laughs> absolutely i mean absolutely and that's it's something that you know it's it's i struggle with it every day because as you you know just like with you, you know, you're, you're, you support Warren and you feel like she's the best person to, to run this country. But what we're seeing happening in front of our eyes, I don't think is what should be happening, which I mean, and, and again, I just want to reiterate, I'm not coming from an emotional point of view. I think she should be in the number one spot, not because I like her, just because of if I look at it um, and, 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 and say, okay, what has she done? What is she doing? What is she promising? Um, compared to what everybody else has done, is doing, and is promising, she's leading. And it's, it's, it's just so tough for me to see it because I don't, you know, I mean, the, the talk right now is that Kamala Harris dropped out because she understood that she wasn't going to get the nomination and perhaps there was some kind of deal made with Joe Biden. And I talked about this with Feminist Next Door on my podcast earlier this week, and we were both kind of going over the idea of what if she were to be his vice president. And, you know, Feminist Next Door made the point that I've seen other people make on social media, which is she shouldn't be his savior, you know, like carry his water. Or I've, I've seen some, some black people on Twitter say, you know, she's not m your mule. Now, okay, I want to I say with to that, politics is politics. And we're going to always, you know, whoever, if, if it's a white man that gets the nomination, then he's going to need to pick a woman of color because he's going to need to. Um, it, it needs to be a woman, but I think it should be a woman of color. Um, and, and if it's a woman who gets the nomination, then I think she needs to pick a man of like Julian Castro or Booker or something like that, because it's diversity that is going to, it's a diversity in government that's going to get the empathy. Um, and it's strengthened numbers those too. Structural changes. It, it's strength, it's strengthened numbers too. I mean, yes. you know, if you're excluding someone purposefully because you know it's seen as bad as you know getting a, a black person on the ticket, then you're excluding a, a huge chunk of the potential voting block that you might get. Yeah, I think 
it, it behooves people to try and get the largest coalition they can by getting the <laughs> most diverse ticket that they can. Yeah, I yeah. definitely think a well-rounded ticket it, it serves as well. The other thing, though, it's it's what's interesting is is it, it is a shame that all the candidates on the next debate stage that have qualified for it are white. Absolutely, mm -hmm. because that isn't representative of our party. But and I've seen that you know all the media saying that, of course, like oh, you know, all the candidates that have qualified for the next Democratic debate, they're all white. But I also think that that lets some of the the candidates off the hook because. <laughs> a, you got to look at their agendas, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that this isn't talked about enough. When you look at Elizabeth Warren's agenda for, you know, people of color, her progressive policies, you know, when you look at universal child care, universal mm -hmm. health care, um, writing off student loan debt, uh, that is going to lift up so many people yes. of color, right? That are, that are, that already we're seeing the racial wealth gap. I think income inequality is at a 50 year high in America where well, the racial mm -hmm. wealth gap is, is, is almost as wide as it's ever been. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as capitalism in our, in our economy keeps, you know, limiting opportunities for people, we need someone in there who's going to be strategic and give more mm -hmm. people opportunities. Right. And so when you just look at like, the progressive policies, they actually are better for people of color than some of the policies that the more moderate candidates are yeah. offering. And that's not really discussed enough. No, it's not discussed enough. And it's easy. It's been too easy. The, the status quo, frankly, is um, even, you know, some of our best presidents have and it's not okay. Let me just say this: presidents obviously aren't the ones who write the laws and and enforce the laws. It's Congress. So presidents have a leadership role to play when it comes to, um, you know, they can put forth, uh, just like with Obama, you know, got um, uh, the Affordable Care Act. Um, you know, he, he got that done, but it's not like he was writing every law. So a president is going to basically be leading on the broader issues. And if, and if Elizabeth Warren becomes president, she's just, she's going to have these ideas in there. Hopefully they can be implemented. Hopefully they will, but they have to pass through Congress right. first. And so and that's it, a huge it's, it's, if. Yes, that's a huge if. And, and you know, I mean, you know what, this is an interesting point, too, because I was watching when AOC was on Chris Hayes not too long ago. Um, they were talking about the Green New Deal. And her whole thing on this was, uh, you know, basically you bring these huge, big ideas to the Congress and and then you let them hash it out. And, and you basically expect you're not going to get all of it right you're going to get a portion of it of course and, and then and then what voters have to remember is if like for instance if, if elizabeth warren does become the president of the united states if she doesn't get her plan the way that she wants it in don't turn on her because she's got to con even if the congress is bright 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 blue she's got to deal with people like joe manchin in west right. virginia and he may he may not go for some of these things and, and just like with the the um the public option with obama he might you we're not going to get all of it yeah. but it is it is that incremental path that we are going to get there and and so it's like i think it's important to remind voters that hey it's it's going to be so freaking great if elizabeth warren is our president but don't expect everything that she's talking about to automatically go through she's going to have to work with congress and she may not get everything so let's not turn on her when everything isn't absolutely perfect and what she promised because no presidential candidate right. ever gets everything that they promise. Well, you bring up some great points. One thing that, and this has always kind of perturbed me, it's like, and what AOC was saying to Chris Hayes is like, you negotiate from your strongest position, 
right? Yes. Like when you're running a campaign, you negotiate with the big idea. And so like if you campaign on Medicare for all, we'll probably end up with a public option. But if you right, campaign exactly. on a public option, <laughs> we're probably going to end up with nothing. Right. And so <laughs> so it's this it's kind of just a difference in philosophy. But it's it's you're right in the sense it's the big idea that inspires people to get out and vote. It's mm-hmm. the big idea that allows mm-hmm. us to control the narrative from and, and not have the Republicans controlling the narrative. Right. Like yeah. Trump, a lot of people don't like it because we didn't like the ideas he campaigned on. But Trump campaigned on big ideas mm-hmm. for his base. Right. Yeah, he was going to build that wall. He's going to build a wall. <laughs> right. That like we didn't need. But like, but that got his voters to the polls. Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. Medic universal health care that Warren is campaigning on. That's a big idea. And that will get people to the polls. And unlike a wall, it's actually something we really need. (laughs) We really need universal (laughs) health care. And we also need universal child care. Absolutely. And the other thing, like when you look at the, the way the media coverage and back into like the sexism component and just the double standard. The media has been harder on Elizabeth Warren for campaigning on universal health care than they were on Donald Trump for campaigning on a racist wall, right? Like in 2016, the media has been way tougher on Warren than they were ever on Trump. And it's, and it's like, it is. And, but again, it's like, because moderates get scared, you know, and there's a lot of fear mongering out there, but it's like the big ideas are what inspires people to get mm-hmm. out and participate in the political process. And, you know, the other thing you said about the status quo, you know, was dead on. Like, you know, here's the deal. Like, what, guess what happened when Elizabeth Warren was like challenging Joe Biden uh, last month and, uh, and almost beating him in polls? What happened? The billionaire class, the corporate media, they freaked out, and yeah. the moderates all started freaking out, and they all tried to just start attacking her day after day after day. And and let's be clear, why are they attacking her? Because she's challenging the status quo. Because yeah, we, ha- we, we have to remember, the status quo makes a lot of people a lot of money, but mm-hmm. it's not helping working people. And the status quo isn't helping people of color. And it isn't helping the base of our party historically. The base of our party, we've always been the party of working people. It was just 2016 that Trump was able to kind of take white working class voters from us. And what I find so interesting, it's like he didn't take those voters with an economic message for them. Right. Right. Because he went into office and he's now helped rich people. I he, dare he, say that this goes all the way back to Reagan, though. For sure. Reagan is, yes. well, he's for the sure. one who, who, who started to pull... The trickle-down economics. Yeah, the, 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 the white working-class people away from the Democratic right. Party and brought do, them over to the Republican Party. But they do Party. it with race-baiting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so my the thing I always like to bring up is, like, are we going to win these voters back with a more moderate message that <laughs> yeah. doesn't appeal, really, to working people that are struggling? Or are we going to win back these white working-class voters with a strong, progressive economic message that's yeah. going to help them? You know, a pro-union message, right? Um, mm-hmm. A message of, like, you know, universal health care. You know, you're, you're, you're going to say... I don't think people realize how much money they will save with yeah. universal health care. And if they already have employee-covered health care, guess what? The, their employees are going to save money because mm-hmm. there's going to be no middleman anymore. You know, the mm-hmm. giant insurance corporation. So the employee is going to be able to put more money in people's paycheck, right? Because they're yeah. going to take less money out for, for insurance. So it's just 
this idea that we should kind of run a, a vague campaign that doesn't promise real change, I don't think that's going to win back the working class voters that we lost. And I don't think that it will inspire younger voters who we need to turn out. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And then along those lines, I want to just kind of throw something in here just because I, you know, I have a tendency to, I have a tendency to worry. (laughs) (laughs) As do we all. You're not, you're not alone, my friend. I think that there's so much worry and just throughout our whole country. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a natural warrior, so it just it's just there for me. But it's like, let's just say that um, the Democrat wins, no matter who it is, if it's Elizabeth Warren, if it's Joe Biden, or if it's people to judge, let's say that Democrat wins. Um, there's going to be uh, a reaction, right? So so let's just take it with Elizabeth Warren. The reaction, well, with everybody, we're going to have a sigh of relief, even if it's not the candidate of your choice. If Absolutely. the Democrat wins, it'll be like, oh my God, thank God it's all. Yeah. So what the Democrats have to do at that point um, is remember 2010 and remember 2014. And when I say Democrats, I mean the party and I mean voters, because in 20, in 2008, there was that historic, historic vote for Obama. And it, I mean, remember, everybody was dancing in the streets and across the world, everybody was celebrating because a black man was elected as president of the United States. And right. I mean, aside from him being black, he was so inspiring and, and everyone loved him. And then in 2010, the the Democratic voters were comfortable, so they didn't vote. Right. And then the Tea Party right. got in. And then in right. 2014, where you think you could have looked back onto 2010 and said, hey, we're not going to let – they didn't vote again. It was it, – I think it was one of the lowest voter turnouts in 80 years, and yep. more Republicans got in. Yep. And so – Whatever happens, whether it's Elizabeth Warren and she's your first choice, or if it's Joe Biden and you're disappointed that you didn't get your way or, or, or reverse that because there's a lot of people who love Biden. Right. And if Elizabeth Warren were to get it, they'd be disappointed. There are elections every four years for presidents. Yes. So we and always every, have another every two, shot. And every two years for Congress. And I think and you, every two years for Congress. And, I and think that's you, exactly it. I think you bring up a great point that part of the reason the Tea Party and then Trump were able to rise to power is because we kind of got complacent and we took That's our always eye, what happens. and we took our eye off the ball. And I think you're absolutely right. Like those days of just like us not paying attention to politics, like unfortunately, like those days are over. Like we have to be paying mm-hmm. attention. And yes, if we take back the White House, we still need to stay engaged. And we still because look, things aren't going to change. We're not just you don't get what you don't fight for. Right. Yeah, and exactly. It, and if we want a government that works for the people and we want a country that's unified and a country that where everyone has an opportunity to succeed, that requires our participation in the political process. Mm-hmm. Because what, what we've seen happen is that when people don't participate, guess who participates? Corporations. Big yeah. big money participates. And, guess, and, and Fox and, viewers. And, yeah. and, 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 and radical right-wing think tanks participate. Yeah. And, 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 and guess what happens when they participate? Their, their interest isn't for us, isn't for we the people. Their interest is for their bottom line. So like, if we want a country that works for everyone and we want to actually live in a country where liberty and justice for all is a reality, that requires us to be engaged in the political process. And, and the other thing, I'm glad you brought this up, like, you know, look, I, vetting is part of a primary process. Mm-hmm. And I am vote blue no matter who. But I figured mm-hmm. out kind of the distinction is 
Vote blue no matter who is our rallying cry in the general to stop Donald Trump, right? Mm -hmm. So after the primary is over, that is our rallying cry. But vote blue no matter who isn't a rallying cry to excuse, you know, unbecoming behavior of one of our mm -hmm. of one of our candidates. Right. Unfortunately, though, there are so many people out there who just don't understand that point, and I wish right. that they would. And, you know, I mean, the, the primary is all about voting your conscience, and then the general election is about voting for the person who's best fit for that job. And so, you know, despite the, you know, whether or not they were your first pick. And so, you know, obviously that means we, we should unify and come together and unite for the uh, 2020 election. And in, in the process, we get, we have to, I, I, you know, I mean, you don't want to give Republicans talking points against uh, presidential candidates. But at the same time, you do want to make sure, I, I, you know, you want to make sure that you're getting the best person for the job. But I also want to remind everybody that back in, I guess it was 2008, when Obama was campaigning against Hillary Clinton, and they were talking about guns, he called her Annie Oakley. And then when he won, he put her, you know, he made her Secretary of State. Right. So, you right. know, there is always, there's always little jabs that they do to each other. Right. And obviously, voters are going to, you know, we we all feel emotional about our candidate and we all feel very passionate, but then we also have to take a step back and say, okay, we feel very emotional because this is our lives, but we also have to realize this is politics and nothing is perfect and there's going to be outcomes that are disappointing. And so when, you know, you have to remember that if we didn't show up in 2018, these impeachment hearings wouldn't be happening. Right. None of this accountability. I mean, we have such a very small amount of power right now, but at least we have it because voters showed up. And I would like to just throw the don't get happy. Yes, um, yes, but, yes. But um, there, there is some good news. And the good news is that 2017, 2018, and 2019, voters showed up. Women have been winning. Yep. And, and so we do not want it to get to the point where um, the Senate is going to vote in another Brett Kavanaugh. Absolutely. You know, the, no the well, president nominates the Supreme Court justices and the Senate decides whether or not they go to the Supreme Court. We have to be on this on every single midterm election. We yep. cannot ignore them anymore, Well, and no matter who's the president. Kind of to bring our podcast full circle is it's not just that women candidates have been winning. But women voters have been yes. winning for the Democratic Party. The reason mm -hmm. we took back the House, 60, I think it was 64% of women voted for a Democrat in 2018. You know, that's wow. incredible. Yeah. You know, I mean, that is, the, you know, of course, women and then women of color are the backbone mm -hmm. of our party. So while mm -hmm. we're watching, you know, Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren being held to these just insanely impossible standards by the mainstream media that none of the male candidates could fit. It's just important to remember that, like, women are driving our Democratic Party. Yeah. Yes, they are. And. You know, one day, and and I'll 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 just say this: that because of the wins in Virginia last month, right. the Equal Rights Amendment is going to pass, and it's gonna it's it's gonna be voted on in early January, and it's gonna pass. And 
the Equal Rights Amendment was written by Alice Paul, who wrote the 19th Amendment, which was the right for women, you know, the right for women to vote. And so she knew that that right wasn't going to extend to everything else. And she wrote the Equal Rights Amendment, which has been introduced to Congress every single year. And it almost passed in the 70s. And then it got an arbitrary deadline Mm -hmm, put on it because, of course, equal rights for women are, you know, you get a deadline on that. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and then the deadline expires. And so basically we're going to get that. Virginia's going to be the very last state needed to ratify the ERA. And then we're going to have a legal battle about that stupid arbitrary, arbitrary right. deadline. But, but the idea of what I'm saying is that, you know, it, 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 if it happens that Elizabeth Warren is not the nominee, um, I, you know, I will be extremely disappointed. But I always want to remember and remind everybody that it's stay in the fight because yes. this fight for the ERA has been almost a hundred years, and we're finally, finally getting to the point where it's going to become a reality. And I became an ERA ERA activist in 2012, so I've only been at this a short time. Right. There are women out there and men who have been fighting for this their whole lives. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I can't even imagine how incredible it must feel to know that it's, it's on the verge now. And so that same kind of idea applies to our election that we're going, you know, whether or not we get what we want, the idea is to keep fighting, keep going because we can have all these things. It is what Obama said. It is the audacity of hope. And yes, we can. It's just that we are dealing with such a backwards and, and wounded, damaged country right now that, you know, I hope we can I hope we can rise to the occasion as we have in the last three elections. But regardless of what the outcome is, it's just that attitude of we're just going to keep soldiering on. Absolutely. Well, and I look is a passionate Warren supporter, I have no doubt that no matter what happens in the primary, that we will come together. You know, I, yes, there are, Uh, uh, we we are having, look, debate is a cornerstone of democracy, Mm -hmm. right? That is what primaries are all about. And we are debating whether our party should be a more moderate party or a more progressive party. And Mm -hmm. I fall into the camp that we need to be a more moderate party and, and get back to our Franklin Delano Roosevelt roots, right? who established social security and the weekend um, and Medicare 40 hour work, 40 hour work weeks. I mean, I, we, you know, I said to a friend the other day, you can't have two political parties in America that, uh, that represent the CEOs, right? You got to have one political party in America that represents the CEO, (laughs) which is the Republican party. And then we need one political party Mm -hmm. in America that represents the worker. And the people, and that's the Democratic Party. Yes. Unfortunately, and I know a lot of people don't like to hear this, but over the last 40 years, the Democratic Party in America has been sliding further and further to the right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, look, the forget about the Republican Party. I mean, they're so far to the right, they're in the Atlantic Ocean right now. I mean, <laughs> the Republican Party is a full-on fascist far-right party. Yeah. But the Democratic Party, like if you compare it to how it is in Europe— and other highly developed nations, I mean, Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg would be center right. (laughs) And Elizabeth Warren would be the center and (laughs) Bernie Sanders would be center left. So, and I also think that this is where the corporate media really doesn't do the Democratic Party any favors. Because, you know, when they, the first year of Trump's presidency, everything was both sides. You know, Trump is kicking people mm-hmm. off food stamps and putting children in cages, but somehow both parties are responsible. Mm-hmm. Somehow they right. find a way that yeah. both sides, right? Yeah. But, but 
the other thing the corporate media does that doesn't help us is like there's no real there's no such thing as a liberal media like activists we no. are the liberal media because <laughs> the corporate media kind of skews the the overton window what you call mm-hmm. it right where where a progressive so it's not just the double standard of that Warren has to deal with being a woman, but it's also that they treat progressive candidates differently than they treat moderate mm-hmm. candidates. Yeah. And that to me is like, you know, a progress CNN and MSNBC have been running nonstop fear mongering about Medicare for all. They've been yeah. doing a nonstop like, Oh, but the billionaires and Oh, the stock market. <laughs> and like, you know what I mean? Like they've been, so that's also important to remember too, that like the corporate media is part of the reason for this shift to the right. And I yeah. think we need to bring us back to the left because when we move left, it means no children in cages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it means inequality goes down and it means working people do better. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, why is this not so obvious? But... <laughs> Preach. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I just, you know, this, this whole, I, I had such an emotional experience in 2016. I was for Bernie Sanders in the primary. I, I got behind Elizabeth. I mean, I'm sorry, Elizabeth. I got behind uh, Hillary Clinton. And, you know, it was interesting because we're like um, the same person. P.S. I supported Bernie <laughs> I in the 2016 primary and then I supported Hillary in the general. And, yeah, and, like, and I talk like, shit from both sides. Well, and I well, and this is a good point to point out to moderates who are listening to the podcast. And I love my moderates, and my <laughs> I love my moderate across from me. My producer Chris is a moderate. <laughs> but this idea that like I'm as progressive as I am, I'm going to be full throttle for the Democratic nominee if yeah. it's a moderate. Like it's possible to be progressive and vote progressive in the primary, and then vote moderate. Totally, because a moderate is way better than a Republican. <laughs> Yeah. Like newsflash. <laughs> yeah. And a, and a third party vote is a wasted vote. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. let me tell every progressive right now, if you vote for Jill Stein in 2020, whoever Jill Stein is, because they won't, <laughs> the way these playbooks run, they won't, Tulsi. well, they won't run Jill Stein. They'll run someone like Tulsi. Yeah. And yes. she'll be the third party person that gets Trump elected. So let She's me just told uh, Tom Perez that she won't run as a third party candidate, but I don't trust her as far as I can throw her. I don't either. I don't either. Yeah, I don't either. And, and here's the deal. If you're a progressive and I am as progressive as they come, uh-huh. you don't vote third party in a general election. And here's why. Because like you just said earlier, that jeopardizes the Supreme Court. And yeah, we exactly. cannot afford to jeopardize the Supreme Court. So not the, only is the Supreme Court, but all federal courts. All courts. The courts judges. are being packed yes. right now with, with such conservative judges that it's going to take decades to undo this damage. You're being nice yeah. calling them conservative judges. No. I call them I call <laughs> them fascists. I call them right-wing extremist judges. They are. they are. Yes. And so that is like if you're progressive, like you had said earlier Kimberly, like we're in this fight the whole way through. So yeah. even if we don't get our candidate that will represent real change, we're still going to keep fighting for real change and we're not going to give up. No, because we will get it and we will we will have a woman representing this country, whether it's in 2021 or if it if it, we have to wait. But and not just a woman, a progressive it. woman. A progressive woman and a progressive woman of color. Um, yeah. You know, I was I was really really kind of teetering right before Kamala dropped out. I was teetering between her and Elizabeth because they both have such unique strengths. And yep. I mean, I, I 
Elizabeth always kind of was on top because of her plans. But I look at Kamala and I thought, you know what, that woman is so fierce. And when she was, um, you know, at those hearings and talking to Cohen and, 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 and Kavanaugh and all of them, I mean, she was, she blows your mind how great she is. And I just thought, can you imagine her prosecutor, her prosecutorial skills coming in when she's dealing with Trump? And she always was the one on the debate stage who spoke directly to Trump and yep. she pointed out the danger that he poses to the country. And so, I mean, it was very hard for me to say, okay, well, I, I still say Elizabeth over her, really to flip a coin, but right. now she's, she is out. And so um, I, I would love to see somebody like Kamala Harris run this country. She's young enough that she can run again. Oh, for and, sure. You know, 2028? Are you yeah. kidding? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, look, I think the greatest injustice of this Democratic primary is that Kamala is out this early. Like it just, totally. it feels wrong, right? That like Kamala's out and, and I'll be even be honest, like certain people shouldn't, have, shouldn't even have been pulling ahead of her in the polls. I mean, that's a different conversation, but yeah. <laughs> I, I just, you know, it bugs, but let's shift gears because while all this is going on, uh, while we have a hotly contested democratic primary, we also have, uh, the impeachment of mm-hmm. Donald J. Trump. And, yeah. uh, what I think, look, I, I went from being one of Pelosi's biggest critics about uh, <laughs> four, four or five months ago to being mm-hmm. one of her biggest supporters and being yeah. so proud of her. And, and let me explain real quick, because when we talk about this, can progressives and moderates come together? I think that Pelosi shows that we can. Yes. Because mm-hmm. here's the deal. I was, as an activist... After that Mueller report showed that Donald Trump clearly obstructed justice, I wanted, it was like time to strike while the fire's hot, like let's go Pelosi. And so I was, you know, with a lot of other activists and a lot of other groups, like move on and stand up America. We were, you uh-huh. know, writing letters, phone calling to all of our Democrats and, you know, let's go. Like it's time to impeach this one. I wanted us to strike when the iron was hot. And so while she took her time and she was methodical, here's the deal. The moment Trump interfered and tried to sabotage the 2020 election with Ukraine. Since that moment, Pelosi has come out with strength and courage uh-huh. and conviction. And yeah. that, in that moment, when she came out, you know, and supported impeachment, it, it unified the progressive and the moderate wings of our party. And yeah. uh, I just want to say, like, I, I wanted to ask you what you think about her leadership. I think that in the last month and a half, like she has completely owned Donald Trump. Um, I love what she did yesterday with the reporter who tried to <laughs> say that like yeah, this and was Joe about Biden should follow her lead. Yes. Well, right. And like this Republican leaning reporter, right? Mm-hmm. He works for Sinclair. J- James Rosen. He mm-hmm. used to work for Fox. He worked for Fox News for uh, over a decade. And uh, mm-hmm. now he, now he well, he was caught up in that whole Roger Ailes Me Too thing that was going on over right. there. And so. now he works oh, at right. Sinclair, yeah. now which he works is at Sinclair. basically Fox News for local media, local right. channels. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tried to say that, you know, Pelosi hated Trump. And <laughs> I just love how she said, like, don't uh-huh. mess with me. Like, yeah. this is, yeah. not, this is a, not a personal <laughs> thing. This is not about hate. <laughs> right. This is about the Constitution of the United States. And yeah. this is about defending it from a president who has abused his oath of office, who has betrayed our country our constitution and our values. And I think when history writes its chapter on this moment, I think that what Pelosi has done from going from being kind of timid around impeachment after the Mueller report to coming out full guns blazing, 
I think that she just wrote herself in as like the patriot of this moment because we oh, need yeah. this is the kind of leader we needed. And that's why I was so critical on her because I knew she was capable of this. I wanted to see her like I'm seeing her now, strong, convicted, and just courageous. Yeah, I mean, I wrote something when when this uh, when when that happened when she went for impeachment and and just watching what she was doing. I wrote a blog post that said I will never criticize her again. And um, the thing is, is I mean, I was part of the. I never called for her re- resignation or anything, but I did. I would tag her in in tweets and say, you know, it's time to impeach. It's time to impeach. And I didn't understand. But what I take from this and and the what I look at her behavior, I do think that she all along knew that there would be impeachment. And she was just, she said, we need something ironclad. And she was waiting for that ironclad thing. Perhaps she was thinking it might be um, Deutsche Bank records or some kind of records that would show that, you know, he was money laundering or something like that. But I, you know, and she'd said back in May prior to, um, what's his name, Mueller publicly testifying, she had said that he was self-impeaching. Right. And so what that, you know, and I remember even being critical then, I remember going back and forth and going, is she playing a long game? Does she know something we don't know? And she's waiting to pull it out. And and so I was, I wasn't sure where she was coming from. And now I am convinced that I think she had impeachment in the, the cards the entire time. Mm. Do I believe that she didn't want to do it? Absolutely. I'm, sh- I'm sure she didn't want to do it. Right. Um, because it does, as much as we need it, it is divisive. It is upsetting. It, it is, you know, this is only the fourth time, I believe, that it's ever happened. Yep. And so, um, you know, I mean, I don't think that she wanted to do it. I didn't, you know, but, but I think that she knew that Trump would screw up somehow so blatantly, which he clearly did. And he felt so free after, the, after Barr tainted the report. Right. Because unfortunately, the American public just goes on what they see first and then they forget everything else. Right. But um, <laughs> I'm in right. such a today. But, right. but it's like, you know, they it's just true. go for this. Oh, uh, you know, there was a big nothing burger there, so moving on. And then yeah. everybody goes, okay, moving on. And right. then when Mueller tust- testified, which really pissed me off that, okay, he was not the man that he used to be. He's an older man. Perhaps he was, you know, not feeling well. Whatever the deal was, he did not perform and he was not Superman. And everybody was cu- coming down on him for because he didn't act the way he used to act when he was in court. And it's like, well, everything he said was damning. Right. He said the Russians are attacking us right yep. now and they're, it's going to get worse in 2020. Yep. It's going to get worse. And he and said the, he obstructed like, justice. Uh, Yes, he yeah. said all of it. And we had it right there. But the thing is, is that Nancy knew, and I think she knew that unless we had something so undisputable, forget the fact that the MAGA crowd is going to justify anything he does. Yep. If we had something so indisputable, that's when the, she was yes. going to strike. And that moment came for her, and she seized it, and she's she's done it like a boss. That yep. woman is like you said she is the patriot of the she is the patriot of this particular time i agree and and it's so and she hasn't looked back ever since she came out you know a month and a half ago for this like she has not looked back Mm -hmm. here's the question the question is and this is what everyone's debating in our and right now actually as we speak the democrats are because pelosi has asked um uh asked congress to draft the articles of impeachment Mm -hmm. and so they're in the process of drafting them the question is, you know, should we keep it focused just on Ukraine or broaden yeah. it out just a little bit and include I say broaden and include the the, the Mueller uh, report, especially the obstruction. I agree with you, and here's why: 
I think that the 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 mo- Russia and Ukraine are connected, right? And here's how they are. And I think that if we put the obstruction of Russia and of the Russia investigation as one of the articles, it helps under- mm-hmm. to understand the Ukraine yeah. story because they're both both situations are a story about Trump calling well in 2016 it was mm-hmm. Trump calling on Russia to interfere to help him get elected and in 2020 it, in this election it was about him bribing Ukraine <laughs> to interfere in our election so it was even worse but i think mm-hmm. both stories tell a tale of a man who had to cheat to win right mm-hmm. he had to cheat to win in 2016 and he know he counted on Russia's help so coming into 2020 he looked at the polls he saw that he was behind Biden behind Warren and behind Sanders behind all three top Democrats so he said to himself well shoot I cheated in 2016 now I got to cheat in 2020 and you know instead of asking Ukraine he straight up tried to bribe them to interfere in our election and in both instances in the Russia story and the Ukraine story Trump obstructed the investigations into yeah. both instances. So yeah. I think that putting in the Mueller obstruction helps to tell the story of how he also it, did the Ukraine piece and tried to obstruct the Ukraine investigation mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, they, they strengthen each other because it, right. just, it goes to that broader point that that man is high crimes and misdemeanoring <laughs> yeah. himself all over the place. Right. <laughs> and, the, and the other thing, it's like the Republicans know because of their party and, and especially because they've gone so fascist and their message is so heavily racist that they know that there's not enough voters for them to win. So in order mm-hmm. to win, they have to gerrymander and they have to collude with Russia and they have to try to bribe Ukraine just to win. They have to cheat, yeah. right? It's just unreal, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> but I, that's what's day, happening. I, think, I know. I think, like, how is this the country? And and you know, just just to um, throw in a little side thing, I, I used to live in Russia. I lived in Soviet Russia when oh, I was wow. twelve years old. It was nineteen eighty eighty one school year. My father worked for ABC News. He was a cameraman, and so I had the opportunity to live in Soviet Russia. Wow which is a different version of what Russia is now. But the the thing is, I say this all the time, whether it's on my podcast or if I'm a guest, but while I'm not an expert in, um, you know, Soviet rule, I experienced it and I lived it. And, and, it was very much like it was a police state, but I liked I liken it as a prison. Mm. I was, I was living in a prison, but I had privileges because I was a foreigner and I understand and it's very hard to put into words, but there was such a, a, a not only just a coldness to the Soviet uh, officials. Like, for instance, there were um, on every street corner there was what looked like I don't know I don't I don't even know if you know what a phone booth is, Ryan. Because yes, you're younger than I, am, <laughs> I, I, I'm not that young. I know what a phone booth is. Okay, <laughs> okay well, because they don't, you never see them anymore. But they were like like phone booths, and they were for the militiamen. And so these militiamen would stand in these booths, and they would stare at you with their cold Soviet eyes, and they mm. would watch every move you make. And that was everywhere you went. And it was not only that they used to break in, or they used to go into our apartment when we weren't there because I I knew they would do this. And as a kid, I would say traps like I would take a piece of hair and I would tie it like an eight around a shelf and I would come home and see that it had been split and it was open and so there is a certain coldness and a meanness and a, like a, a, a kind of threat of violence that hung over your head if you were to step out of line and Vladimir Putin is of that Soviet mindset he was a, he's a KGB guy yes. yep. and so 
I don't think that he's necessarily looking to turn America into a Soviet police state, but this is who we're dealing with. We're, we are dealing with a man who is so cold and so um, calculating and so uninterested in empathy or caring about human life. Um, and he's, he has been able to penetrate our government so deeply that we, full, we don't have a clear understanding of what he's done just because Trump isn't going to tell us and Trump allows it to happen. And I'm sure it's because of all the compromise hanging over his head. Yeah. Look, and I, so, yeah. that, you know, my, my main point is just that I think that people don't understand who we're dealing with. He is a very scary individual. I, I'm glad you shared this because I, this, what you just shared is exactly what we're fighting because, yeah. and thank you for sharing that, that, that experience because this is, this shows how fragile democracy really is mm -hmm. that, because look, I knew that we were living in a dystopian movie when <laughs> Donald Trump about 2018 was trying to convince people that uh, the FBI were the bad guys mm -hmm. and the yeah. Kremlin were the good guys, right? During the <laughs> Russia investigation. And he was trying to say, you know, that Russia didn't attack our election, even though the intelligence agencies told us that Russia attacked our election. Right. I mean, I knew what we were dealing with pretty early because it's like, mm -hmm. I mean, American presidents don't take the side of Vladimir Putin over our own FBI, right? Mm -hmm. And over our own CIA. I mean, there's just been moments in this presidency that make you stop and think. But you're mm -hmm. right. When you look at the Republican Party and how they've gone so far to the right mm -hmm. and how they're so wrapped up in this, their idea of evangelicalism and, and, and Christianity and how they use that to, you know, the, to further what they're doing, that's what Russia does too, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the similarities, like, we don't want the United States of America to become Russia. <laughs> like we no. want to protect and defend our democracy. So, so this is everything. And you know, the last thing I have on our, our list of things to go over in the podcast today is it, it just speaks to the cruelty of, of what the Republican party and mm -hmm. Donald Trump have become um, mm -hmm. is here we are what 19 days before Christmas mm -hmm. and <laughs> Donald Trump just cut food stamps for yeah. 700,000 Americans. Oh my God. And here's, hear me out, and I, I'm gonna be real. He cut 700,000 food stamps because the Republicans don't give a shit about the poor. Mm -hmm. Many of them claim to be Christians, quote, mm -hmm. quote unquote, but that's a bunch of bullshit too. Greed, yeah. greed is their God. Yeah, right? greed, money, power, all of it, yeah. And how, how do these right-wing evangelical Christians reconcile their faith <laughs> with the cruelty of Trump's government. Well, because th those people who call themselves uh, Christians are frauds. I mean, mm. you know, obviously there are a lot of Christian people that I know. I mean, I'm not religious at all, but um, there are many Catholics and many Christians that I know who I know are good people and who care. Same, same. And, you know, I mean, so yeah, this I isn't not, that. This isn't that. Yes, they're, you, they're weaponizing. They are frauds. They're, they're weaponizing. Well, what Trump and the Republican Party have done, and I want to make this distinction because I have tons of Christian friends. I grew up in a Catholic yeah. family. They weaponize religion. And yes, they, they, they use it, right, to, to further their radical agenda. And that's mm -hmm. the same thing Vladimir Putin does. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's the, that's the thing about, the thing about Putin getting his 
dirty hands on our government is that they, you know, he was able to recognize that they were, you know, they maybe didn't say it out loud, but they were white supremacists. Yeah. And, and maybe they weren't the kind of white supremacists like Nazis because there's always variations. It's not like necessarily they're going to run up and, and they are doing it now and we're seeing it more and more online, but they're not necessarily going to use the N-word, but they feel it inside. And uh, the Russians understood this and that's why they penetrated um, the Republican Party. Now, they also... And, they, and also you know, remember too, it's not just the Republicans. The NRA went over there in 2015. The N- and the right. NRA has been going over to Russia and developing these things. And so have evangelical leaders, right-wing evangelical yes. leaders have been going over to Russia. So this whole, it's been cultivated by, you know, this triage of the NRA, the Republican Party, and these mm-hmm. right-wing evangelical leaders and Russia. Yes. And it's then like it goes crazy. Back to- it goes back to, you know, I think it was 1987, and I don't remember who said this, but it was somebody who did a report on Donald Trump, and it was like around 1987 was when they say the Russians started going after him basically to get compromat. Right. And so you you just know that um, they they didn't focus on one person. They, they, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure they have tried to bring over people from the Democratic Party, and they have been successful. And I don't mean, when I say bring over, I mean like, bribe them. You know, they they find people in the Democratic Party or the Republican Party who are greedy and they get them they get them to do something nefarious and then they hold it over their head. Right. I think there might be a few in the Democratic Party, but there's a lot more in the Republican Party. And um, you know, so I think whether it is um, Russians having dirt on a number of Republicans, or even Trump having dirt on, on a number of Republicans, or just the fact that certain Republicans are afraid of their base, and well, maybe and, there's no dirt on any... that. Those are the three driving forces. Well, and also that are, money that is that them. final driving force, right? We saw that Russian billionaire yeah. uh, come in and, and invest in an aluminum facility in right. Mitch McConnell's own home state of Kentucky, yeah. right? Yeah. So it, there's just multiple angles, but the the point is, is like American elections are decided by Americans, right? Like mm-hmm. we are, our political process needs to stay s- sanctimonious and it needs, to, we need to keep the Russians and every foreign government out of our politics. And I just, I hope that as this impeachment of Donald Trump comes on and as this pri- democratic primary season comes on, I hope we can get back to a place where it's like, yes, we're Democrats, we're Republicans, but we're Americans and Americans yeah. should decide our elections. I don't want 2016 yeah. to keep repeating over and over. No, please, no, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, anyway, I this we already had an, we're at an hour. Kimberly, this has been wow. a, an amazing conversation. Uh, thank yes. you for uh, taking the time with us today. Uh, what is your uh, Twitter handle so my listeners can follow you on Twitter? Um, it is author Kimberly, and my la- my my name is a little different, so it's author, and then K I M B E R L E Y. My mom had to go stick that extra E in my name just, <laughs> just to, to mess people. with everybody, yeah. <laughs> just to make it original. And yeah. then, wh- where can they get your podcast? Um, it's at Start Me Up, and that's on it's on everything. It's on Patreon dot com slash awesome. Start Me Up, but it's also on um, iTunes and wherever and Stitcher and wherever you get your podcasts. Fantastic! Sweet. Well, keep up the great work, and uh, I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. It was a great conversation. Thanks, right. Kimberly. Thanks, Kimberly. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
Yeah, that was that was awesome. She was as good as I thought she'd be. She's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm in trouble because we went over an hour again. I'm not supposed to go for an hour, but I'm chatty, so <laughs> I'm getting scolded right now as we speak. <laughs> uh, before we go, we got to tell you about Plexiderm. That's right. Uh, I've been using it for like three months. Yep. Yeah. How long have you been using it? Um, I've been using it for about two months now, and I I look dewy, soft and dewy. And fresh. And fresh, yes. Yes. Uh, we, we've been saying on the Stephanie Miller show that it turns an Endora into a Samantha in about three minutes. An <laughs> Endora into a Samantha. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah, so <laughs> you just take a little bit of it, it's, yep. and you put it right underneath your eyes. Mm -hmm. It takes away all your bags. Yep. It takes away your wrinkles. Yep. Crow's feet, gone. Five minutes. The crow's feet fly south for the winter. So go to uh, get Plexiderm's holiday promotion. Go to tryplexiderm.com mm -hmm. and use my code SEXYLIBERAL for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off, plus an extra $10 off. Whoa. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning code SEXYLIBERAL. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TryPlexiderm today and use code SEXYLIBERAL at checkout. That's TryPlexiderm.com. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Amped Up with Proud Resistor. Uh, you can tweet out the hashtag Amped Up. Yep. And we'll see you next week for all new episode. Let's face it, hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, listeners to the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.